he built this beautiful little white chapel you go in and it's covered like all the walls are covered with these like thick layers of photos and notes and people hang up collars and leave like dog treats I remember seeing there was a photo of a parrot in there there were some cats a part of why i then really wanted to write this book is i often felt when i was mourning my pets um as a kid and as like a young adult that i must be a weirdo for being this upset about you know quote just an animal and you go to places like this and you're like no like hundreds and thousands of people feel this way too welcome to conversations with animals my name is juliana and I'm your host. Uh, my name is Evie Bartels, and I am a writer, and I am the author of a book called Good Grief on Loving Pets Here and Hereafter, which is a uh, narrative nonfiction book about all the different ways that people mourn and remember their pets when they die. Wonderful. Um, and I know that before we jumped on the call, I got to meet a couple of your pets. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm wondering if you could tell us more about the animals in your lives at this moment. Sure. Well, um, my husband Richie and I uh, call it the menagerie because we have so many pets at the moment. So we have one dog. Uh, his name is Seymour. He is a pit bull chihuahua mix, mostly with some schnauzer and rat terrier and I think Jack Russell, like just a bunch of terriers. So as you can imagine, he hates squirrels and rabbits <laughs> and is like totally nuts. Um prey drive and then we have um two tortoises so i have terrence who um i got uh nine and a half years ago at this point he's a red-footed tortoise and then just last fall we got twyla who is um, a female red-footed tortoise so they're hanging out together um in their enclosure and then we also have um, a small flock of pigeons actually because uh, my husband Richie has always loved pigeons and so we've rescued a bunch from um, the local sort of animal rescue organizations in our area they're all fancy pigeons though so they're ones that were like bred by people um, sort of like how they're different dog breeds they're different fancy types of pigeons um, and then we also have a fish tank full of African cichlids but that's really Richie's territory I'm like afraid to mess up the water so I don't really touch the fish tank unless he asks me to <laughs> how do you care for them they live in a loft in our yard which is sort of like a chicken coop um so though instead of it being like long and flat on the ground it's more vertical like an aviary so there's an inside part where they have nesting boxes and actually like an old bookshelf that someone in our neighborhood was throwing out that they like to sit in and kind of make little nests in um, and then there's like a fly zone outside that has um, like a big like chicken wire area where they have perches and they sit in the sun and they splash around in water. Um, and because they're fancy pigeons, they're not trained to be homing pigeons who will like fly away and come back. So they just kind of hang out, hang out there. Um, but some people who have pigeons, they have ones that every morning they go and they like open the enclosure and let them out. And then at night they come back. Uh, that's that's Seymour. Sorry, he's <laughs> out. That he's not part of this conversation. <laughs> he's like, don't talk about any pets except for me. Yeah, he's um, like, I don't care about the birds. The birds are dumb. So with the all the different species living together, I know in your book you talk about learning 
um, kind of through uh, trial and error that different fish species didn't get along or had different nuances. So I'm curious, have you noticed things? I know we, you've talked about Seymour and Terrence <laughs> having like an unfortunate um, relationship, but like, do you see synergy between the species living together or is it a lot of managing, like trying to keep them in their own separate bubbles? My favorite uh, genre of Instagram video is probably like unlikely species from friendships like I write about this a little bit in the book about um, this elephant who is good friends with a stray dog at an elephant sanctuary um, and like I love I love stories like that so I think when we got all these different pets I had these great dreams of like pigeons riding on Seymour's back and like snuggling with the tortoise and like you know that's just like being a person who reads a lot about animals and nature and you know science and biology and stuff it's like yeah these different species aren't always going to get along and especially a dog like Seymour who is descended from breeds of dogs that were bred for hundreds of years just to like kill small creatures like you know you have to be realistic about your expectations um so yeah we kind of keep everyone in their own areas they all have their own enclosures where they feel most safe and comfortable but I will say that um I've it's interesting kind of having all these different species in our home and observing their behaviors and noticing things that are very similar or very different so like something I always think about is like I remember learning I don't know in like high school bio class about how dinosaurs and birds are like descended from the same ancestors and I feel like I never fully like got it but then sometimes when I'm out feeding the pigeons and I look at their like scaly like feet and their talons and then I come in and I take care of the tortoises I'm like oh I totally see how you guys are all related distantly so I feel like it's made me more observant and thoughtful just to see all these different species up so close all the time too um yeah and that's such a early impression animals had on you um it seemed from the book that well there was like a distance because your mother didn't want you at first to have pets um <laughs> but you were in the school that brought them into the classroom so um was that something like you remember basically your whole life is this desire to understand or be closer to animals yeah so I went to this very you know like hippie dippy Montessori school that was all about um you know teaching kids about the importance of nature and interacting with animals and you know the connections that um people you know need to have with other species for their well-being and for you know the planet to really function so we had tons of classroom pets at my elementary school and then we also just um actually had a lot more about this in the book that got kind of cut back but we also just did a ton of outdoor stuff constantly like uh we didn't really have a traditional playground we were just like in the woods behind the school <laughs> looking, looking for salamanders under logs and stuff and I feel like that just made such a huge impression on me um in thinking about all the different ways animals live in our world you know alongside us or you know near us or on their own far away and um my parents too I think really encourage that as well my mom has really bad allergies which I write about in the book which is sort of one of her reasons for you know thinking I shouldn't get a pet though I found out later she actually was just worried about me being sad when the pet died 
Um, but my mom always read a lot to me and, you know, so many children's books are all about animals. And so I felt like I always was asking her to read animal books to me. And then my dad is like such a big animal guy. Like every year for Christmas, it's like, you know, I get him all the new nonfiction books about birds and, you know, (laughs) always so excited. And he has like at his house now, um, he and my mom have set up all these like trail cams. And so every morning I wake up and he texts me videos of like the coyotes that walk through their backyard or like we got him for Christmas a year ago, the, um, this bird feeder that has a camera in it. So then it like, will take a picture when the bird comes to the bird feeder and text his phone. And so I feel like from my dad too, I just learned like how much like there is to be amazed by and like there's just so much wonder in the world to like observe all these animals so I think all those things um really like imprinted on me when I was really little and that just made me want to share my life with animals in every way that I could yeah and the I mean the central one of the central arguments in the book is is that when we make that choice to have animals we're also choosing to to greet them and that we are signing up for, (laughs) you know, um, likely witnessing the end of their lives. So um, there's so much to talk about from the book, but I would just love to hear from you. um, What was it like when you first realized that you wanted to focus on this aspect of animal relationships, which is a very, you know, difficult one to, to follow? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, it happened sort of naturally that I started to focus on this because, you know, like you said, when you have pets or, you know, choose to share your life with different species of animals, um, you know, usually they're going to die before you do. Right. Like, I mean, my tortoises, who knows, right. Like my (laughs) my niece has already agreed to take them in case I die, um, you know, before they do. And people I know who have parrots, you know, they have complicated wills where they've written about like who gets what parrot and all this stuff. But like, usually, usually a lot of pets will die um, before you do. And so I came about to the pet writing actually sort of um, accidentally almost. So I went to uh, Columbia's MFA program in nonfiction writing. And I went into the program already with a pretty solid idea of what I wanted my thesis to be about, which was this sort of intergenerational memoir about inherited trauma and my grandfather's insurance agency and all this stuff. And it could sometimes be pretty heavy to write. So when I needed a break from writing that, but I still wanted to be writing something, I found I was writing a lot of these short personal essays about pets I'd had. So it was sort of funny because like when I was a kid, I would often lean on my pets for comfort. And I felt like I did that in grad school too. Like when I needed something comforting to write, I was like, oh, well, what about, you know, that tortoise I had when I was in middle school? And the thing is, like when you're writing about pets, usually those stories end with how they died because pets usually die in the end and I brought these into one of my workshops once and I was sort of like I've been doing this on the side I don't know if it's too dark or whatever and it was so interesting because like I feel like my friends in my workshop had been interested in the stuff I was writing about my family but their responses to the pet material was like next level like they were 
so engaged with it and then also really wanted to share their own stories and they were telling me about like one of my friends that she and her family like illegally buried their pet parakeets in a park <laughs> like in her town and I it was just so interesting to see that reaction and I feel like animals stir up really powerful feelings for people and a lot of people said too like oh I never talked about this with anyone before because it felt like just like a private weird thing just my family did like I didn't realize other people also had funerals for their pets or like missed school because they were so sad because their dog died and um one of my friends who's very smart who's a journalist for a long time she said you know, it could be really cool if you took one of these essays and like sprinkled in some fun facts about how people mourn pets in other cultures, like or across the globe or throughout history. And I said, yeah, that'd be a cool idea. And so I just started to do a little research. And then I fell down this rabbit hole where I was like, oh my gosh, this is more than just a few fun facts for an essay. Like This, <laughs> this is a whole book. And and I was so excited to do this research, too, because it was like, again, like so many people have pets. Like last time I checked, I think it's 67 percent of American households have some kind of a pet. And then, you know, if most of those pets, you know, don't live as long as people do, like all those people are also experiencing pet death. But it's wild to me that people don't talk about it very much. And, you know, there are pet cemeteries everywhere. I found out there are over 700 in the United States alone. There are also all these old ancient pet cemeteries in uh, Egypt and Israel and the Mediterranean. And there's like a dog grave that they found in the Czech Republic, I think, that's like 40,000 years old or something. Like, I forget now what the exact number is, but it's like people have been mourning their pets and burying them and, you know, celebrating them and having ceremonies for them for millennia. And um, it was really both exciting to read all that stuff and also really affirming to be like, oh, I wasn't a weirdo for crying over my dog because like these indigenous, you know, communities above the Arctic Circle were having elaborate funerals for sled dogs, you know, like hundreds of years ago. So yeah, so I started researching that and I just didn't look back. I was like, I want to know about this. <laughs> That's amazing. And I'm so glad you did because um it's it normalizes, like you said, something that um so many people feel and maybe feel shame about, or it's just like the cultural norms around, you know, what lives matter and um what is appropriate in terms of like to feel sadness over (laughs) um so I think it's really powerful to see that and um I know you some of the ones in the U.S. you had mentioned um the one in Vermont I think it was there's like a cemeteries yeah yeah so the place in Vermont is really special um that I write about it's called Dog Mountain and the artist Stephen Hunick, who um, he created these beautiful woodblock prints, and he often used his dogs as um, inspiration for his, he does this sort of like Americana folk art style, but it's often like these funny prints of dogs. And he bought this big property up in Vermont in um, St. Johnsbury and had his art studio there. He has a gallery there. And then he built this beautiful little white chapel which looks kind of like a classic New England, you know, church. And inside you go in and it's covered, like all the walls are covered with these like thick layers 
of photos and notes and people hang up collars and leave like dog treats and it's all like memorials to people's pets it's mostly um it's mostly dogs because it's dog mountain he loved dogs but um there was i remember seeing there was a photo of a parrot in there there were some cats and um it's just a really beautiful special place and i feel like you know I, part of why I then really wanted to write this book is I often felt when I was mourning my pets um, as a kid and as like a young adult that I must be a weirdo for being this upset about, you know, quote, just an animal. And you go to places like this and you're like, no, like hundreds and thousands of people feel this way too. And it's very normal because like, you don't, you don't really know what people's relationships are like based on just like titles or species or like what's on paper. Like I interview people for my book who were elderly, who lived alone. And like the being they saw all the time was their pet. Like they, their kids lived far away. A lot of their friends had died. So like their closest companion was their cat or their dog or whoever it was. And so of course, when that animal dies, like that's devastating, you know, but then people who don't realize that that that's their relationship, you know, are quick to say things like, oh, well, why don't you just go get another cat, the MSPCA? Like, there's so many of them. So um, I really wanted to write this book to show these places that, like Dog Mountain, I think, where you can really find community of other people who totally get it when you're grieving. Yeah, and it, it, it is so important to have those gathering spaces um especially for like you said people who might feel like they're alone in it um so I'm wondering what you what were the biggest takeaways that you um got from encountering these these grieving rituals and these memorials um did you notice anything about grieving that you hadn't before yeah a couple things um and I I think the things that stuck with me the most I've realized apply to all types of grieving not um just grieving animals and you know I've, I've had a few people read my book um pretty soon after losing uh one friend read it after her husband died and um my um uh great aunt-in-law um read it recently after her father passed away and um both were saying that there's a lot in it that's just helpful in thinking about grief in general, not just with pets. And so my main takeaways are really that there's no right or wrong way to grieve. I think people feel a lot of pressure to follow certain rituals or do certain things or also only be sad for like X amount of days. Um, and I think like, bereavement leave policies don't really help with that you know where it's like okay well if it's a close relative you get three days and if it's a relative but you didn't know them while well, you get one day and so you feel like that's supposed to be like okay well that's how much time I get to grieve so that's that's it and obviously like grieving takes all different forms it can last a long time it goes in waves like I talk to people whose cats died in like the spring and they were starting to feel better later in the summer and the fall and then they set up their christmas tree and lost it because they were like oh my god my cat would always sit in the, the christmas tree and it just like brought it all back again right and that that happens right like when a loved one dies like every time you hit like their birthday or like with a pet like their adoption day maybe it's like those anniversaries 
you know, dig up these feelings. So basically I feel like there's no right or wrong way to grieve in terms of how long it takes you and also like do what you need to do. Like if it is writing an obituary because that helps you like remember the the person or the pet well or putting together a scrapbook or like you know some some people I know it's like really methodical and soothing to go through like you know your loved ones things or like keep all your you know dogs old leashes and toys or whatever in a box and like when you miss your dog you can open that up and kind of go through them and feel like they're nearby like all these things are fine. And I really feel like as long as you're not hurting yourself and as long as you're not hurting other people, like grieve in whatever way you need to grieve and take as long as you need. Um, so that was really, really um, one of the, the key takeaways for me. And then the other is sort of what I touched on already is finding a community of people to help you. And I think that with pets, it's hard because you often feel like it's a private relationship you have just you and your pet. Cause it's like usually takes place just in your home and maybe not as many people know your pet as you know, your pet. And so then when they die, it's like hard to find people maybe who will get it. Um, but there's so many support groups, there's pet loss hotlines. And also like, I think more people now get to know each other's pets, like through social media. And I think like um, I joke that pet internet is one of the last nice places online. <laughs> I think like I know a few people who posted on Facebook or Instagram when a pet died and they were so moved by like the number of people who commented on the post who then shared their own pet loss stories. And like, I think that's a really wonderful tool because people who get it can engage and check in on you and, you know, talk to you and comfort you and people who maybe don't have animals or think you're overreacting can kind of just scroll by and leave it. So I think like trying to actually find people to help you when you're grieving an animal is it's like counterintuitive, but I actually think that is something that is really, really helpful. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering too, if you had takeaways from the other side of animals um, who grieve each other, grieve owners, um, and what we maybe can even learn from uh, non-human animals in our lives about, uh, you know, love and connection. Yeah. Well, I think um, a couple of the vets I spoke with, you know, talked about like, all these different studies and, you know, scientists often for a long time trying not to put human anthropomorphic qualities onto animals. But like, if you spend any time with animals, you know, they have also have personalities and they have like, like Terrence, my tortoise, for example, he hates kale. Like every time I try to put kale in, he like will pick it out of like the mix of salad <laughs> and everything else. So like animals are particular and they have their personalities. And I think that we can learn a lot from them because in some ways I think like animals uh, think about death differently than we do. I, I like, I don't know how, but like, I think in some ways because they live so much closer to it, you know, um, their lives are shorter or they have more risky, like, you know, having a flock of pigeons outside, you know, it's like they can fly away, you know, a raccoon can get into their loft. Like it's, it's always a risk, you know, like having pets of any kind. But um, I think that 
they live in a really present way you know they're not really worried about the future like when Seymour and I are out for a walk like I'm thinking about a thousand things on my to-do list that I have to do when I go home and Seymour is just like oh my gosh there's squirrels everywhere this is great (laughs) and so I think we can learn a lot from them about appreciating like the here and now and then when it comes to mourning I've heard of several stories where people found that actually showing their pet the body of either the other pet or the deceased human was very helpful because um, the pet then, you know, the dog can like go up and smell the other dog and, and understands in their way that this dog is no longer alive, that it has transitioned in some way. And that can happen with people as well. And I think that is actually really, really helpful in thinking about how people could be better at grieving because I think often with a lot of human death rituals like if you quickly cremate somebody and like you you can forget that they're actually dead and they're gone you know like my aunt who lived in Maine passed away and you know it was easy for me to kind of trick myself into thinking like oh she's just up in Maine and I haven't heard from her in a little while you know as opposed to really sitting with and acknowledging the hard truth that she was gone and I feel like because animals like don't really shy away from that and look death in the eye in that way like I really think that helps their grieving and they seem to move through it faster in some ways because they acknowledge it and I think we should do that too as people like we should really take the time to like you know sit with these feelings and not try to bury them and I think there's a lot of value in customs like um, you know Catholic wakes or in different cultures you know you wash the body like the family dresses the body together and you know those are really nice ways to kind of help you sit with the fact that like okay this is the shell of my loved one that person is gone somewhere else their energy or whatever soul whatever you believe in is elsewhere and so I think doing that with our pets, with people we love is is really helpful for grieving. Yeah, because it does feel like um, as a larger culture, there is a lot of fear or avoidance around death, you know, very youth obsessed <laughs> culture. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's like an interruption in that obsession. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering, I don't know if this is something you want to speak to, but I know you did share with me that you're like approaching motherhood <laughs> and I'm just wondering if you have any hopes for how your child will interact with animals or maybe even how the world may, um, evolve during their lifetime in terms of like how we, um, deal with, deal with pet loss and, and death in general. Yeah. I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot. I mean, honestly, I'm a pretty anxious person. So my current thing is worrying about (laughs) if Seymour and the baby will get along. And I think so. He's not always great with other dogs um, because he has some rescue dog issues, but he seems to love all little kids. So fingers crossed. Mm -hmm. Um, But I my hopes, at least for our, our child, is that, you know, they'll learn appreciation and love of animals and the natural world from growing up in a house with so many pets Mm -hmm. um and that they will um therefore be somebody who goes forward and treats the world with a lot of respect tries to treat the planet with a lot of respect and understands that we are you know we're all related like humans are animals too you know we like to 
think we're so sophisticated and distance from our pets or from other species, but we're really not, in my opinion. So I hope that our kid kind of understands how all these things interact and connect. Um, and I hope too that, you know, there's more, I, I think I've noticed a, a change in people normalizing pet grief and grieving animals um, in a lot of ways. I do think social media has helped, I think, especially because people get to know each other's pets more and see when people are sad about the death of a pet. Um, and I hope that, you know, if our kid has close relationships with pets that, you know, when they're upset one day about an animal dying, you know, they're not going to get made fun of. They're not going to get told to just go get a new one. But, pe you know, people will understand and they'll have friends and loved ones who will be there for them. So that's my wish. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, so for you right now are you um going to continue writing about animals do you think I know you um used to do the column where you would interview writers who've written about animals um so I'm just curious if there's other projects in the works or um, if you might switch gears or what's next for you yeah I mean I feel like I couldn't stop writing about animals if I tried. Um, <laughs> I I love uh, I love doing that nonfiction about non-humans series, um, which I have a couple more interviews um, queued up. There'll be one more in December, one in January, and then I'm going on parental leave um, from the <laughs> interviews for a little bit. But um, I hope to come back to that because it's been really wonderful to talk to other people who write about animals and um I just think it's impossible to exist in the world without them you know like we have them as companions but also people need animals you know for to eat and to you know help work different jobs and you know to just have the planet exist and so um, I don't know I think in some ways it's impossible to write about being a person without also write about animals so yeah I'm still figuring out exactly what my next <laughs> projects are because right now I kind of have this other uh human small human focus yes. <laughs> but yeah. um yeah I am sure that whatever book comes next it's also going to be about human animal relationships so awesome um and I know you do have an Instagram for um your tortoises um I'm curious are there other ways folks can stay in touch with you or your work or your animals that um, you'd like to share yeah so um I made an Instagram account for the book too it's called uh good grief pets book on Instagram all one word and that is a place where um I like to think of it as a virtual pet cemetery. People have often submitted photos and memorials to me and I posted them on there. I do pet tribute Tuesday. So I try to do a new pet tribute each Tuesday. Um, but then I also do a live pet Thursday where people send me photos of their current <laughs> pets posing with my book. So I was like, okay, we have some sadness and some levity in one account. Um, so yeah, you can follow me on there. You can DM me with your own pet tributes that I would happily repost um, you can find me on the website formerly known as Twitter as <laughs> or Bartels and um, my website www.ebbartels.com has a lot more info too and you can get in touch with me on there. Awesome well thank you so much for being here today and for doing this work it's really been wonderful to get to be closer to it. Oh, thank you so much for having me it's wonderful to talk to you. <laughs>
Thank you for listening, and be sure to join the Substack community by going to animal.julianaroth.com. <laughs>